0: We're going to do a high five, and then we're fucking rolling, okay? (laughs) Fuck yeah, all right. (laughs) Welcome back. Woo! Um, (laughs) You know, when we first started this thing, Sarah, damn near two years ago now. Beginning of 2020, Something like that. When we first started this thing, I says to myself, Sarah, I says to myself, I says... We're not going to be that couple that starts a podcast during lockdown, does a bunch of episodes. And then the second the world goes back to normal, stops doing the podcast because so many people did that. What are you going to do? You're in, you're in a house with a, with a partner or roommates and everyone started a fucking podcast in 2020. And then everyone stopped recording as soon as they were allowed to go to the park again and shit like that. And I said, we're not going to be like that. And then round about, oh, say May 2021. Mm Activity started being open again. We stopped spending weekends at home. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> was the last one like around your birthday? Our birthday. The last one was May last year.
1: Oh, buddy. Okay. So
0: it was right before rugby started back up again. Oh, literally. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I remember this. Yeah. Yeah, we're that people. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so we did the thing.
0: So we did the thing, but you know what? We're not going down like that. We're not giving up without a fight. We will not go quietly into the night. Oh Today will be full Independence Day. Bah, 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 bah. No, I want to get back on the wagon. These were fun to do. <laughs> we're doing it. We're back. I mean, I'd like to do this more often. You know, I like hanging uh, out
1: with you in a quiet, dark room alone. Weirdly
0: enough, I'm not bored of talking to you yet. I'm
1: good. I'd hope not. <laughs>
0: So, in case anybody hasn't listened to the rest, I can't even remember at this point. First of all, <laughs> in this poopcast, we tell each other stories, not fictional stories, real world true shit that's weird and interesting and sort of obscure that we know the other one doesn't know. I teach you, you teach me kind of thing. There's two things we usually do. We usually start by playing a game to decide who goes, fuck, playing a game to decide who, who decides, decides yes. who goes first. There you go. It's a big benefit to know who goes, who, who, it's a big, big benefit to get to decide. <laughs> Bitch, Bit. it's been a while. Bit. So Bitch. <laughs> birby, 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 birby. Uh also, we don't have a name for this yet. It's not updates. Because it's like, it's updates from last time, but it's also like corrections or things we missed or things that have happened since we did the last story. Those all sound like updates. But things we missed isn't an update, it's a a correction.
1: Uh, I mean, it's an update on the story.
0: Yeah, I do. I I like the idea You're because you don't have a good name. I like a schnazzy title. okay. The best one we came up with so far was Todd's Apology Corner. I'm fine with
1: that.
0: (laughs) Updates is fine for now. Okay. In the meanwhile, Sarah's come up with the idea... To do go fish, to decide who decides who goes first. Yep. Okay. Sarah. Yes. Do you have any fives? Damn it. Off to a good start. Do you have any queens? Go fish. Fuck. All right. Tell me a thing.
1: Okay. Updates from last
0: episode. You might want to tell the people what the last episode was. The last
1: episode for uh, my topic was Anna Sorokin, who is the grifter chick who wound up taking New York's high society scene for like millions of dollars. And then
0: went to jail for it.
1: At the end of our story, she got back into custody in April, right before I told the story. So that was like the very last thing.
0: Right, like ICE had just taken her in.
1: Yeah, she just got released from jail. And then she (laughs) was in ICE custody she's still in ice custody literally nothing has changed her case hasn't come up yet she's just hanging out that's it that's all i got for her yeah that's her own personal update
0: that hopefully it. without access to the internet no they haven't given her a blog again Good. unfortunately because i was really enjoying that i was gonna say i was hoping she would be like starting some new grift right no and they've stopped her from doing interviews and stuff too so
1: i all think right. probably her lawyer hopefully stopped her from doing interviews because that's kind of how she got back in yeah um do you have any aces uh, do you have any twos? Go fish. Tell me a thing.
0: All right, cool. So yeah, last time I did George C. Parker, the guy who famously sold the Brooklyn Bridge as a scam and also like everything else in New York, Eiffel, Eiffel Tower, <laughs> Statue of Liberty.
1: <laughs> the Leaning Tower of Pisa in New York. Yeah, right, exactly. The
0: Parthenon. <laughs> he sold the Brooklyn Bridge and the Statue of Liberty and the Metro Museum of Art and like a million things. So, putting this story together was kind of interesting because there's not a lot of reliable info on the guy. I was looking at a lot of microfilm archives of newspapers from the 1910s. So, there's there's sort of an unreliable narrator factor with this. Also, when the guy went to jail in uh, 28... Newspapers sensationalized it a lot, so it's kind of difficult tracking down, like, real info. I picked the parts that were mostly consistent and kind of made a narrative out of it, but there's a lot of info we don't actually really know. It felt like you did well with that, though. Well, yeah, I know. I'm great. (laughs) But there's a lot of stuff I'm not actually 100% sure of, like, some reports say he was born in 1860, and some reports say 1870. And Mm. so when he went to jail, he could have been either 58 or 68. I went with 68 because it's closer to 69, and I'm 10. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that is all.
1: Oh, that's your update? Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, like I said, it's not an update, it's more of a correction. Co- okay. It's a uh, clarification.
1: Clarification. Yeah. Corrections and clarifications?
0: No, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, do you have any queens?
1: Goofy. Cool yeah. Uh, That Netflix special that I told you about, there was come. There was come. There was come. <laughs> That there was some kind of disagreements about because she was in jail and potentially making money off of it. Right. It is going forward and it's actually being released. Uh, It's called Inventing Anna. It's coming out in 2022. Nice. Let's check that out. Yeah. Anna's played by a Julia Garner.
0: Is that an actress?
1: Evidently. Is she hot? Kind of? Cool. In kind of the weird way that Anna's Rockin is.
0: I was going to say, yeah, she had one of those, like, weird faces where it's like, you're not traditionally attractive, but I just want to keep staring
1: at you. Yeah, but also kind of like, I think that's why she was, like, so good at being a chameleon.
0: That kind of girl-like story.
1: Yeah, just, like, no identifiable features, but then plays them up really well.
0: I don't know. Once you know she's Russian, she has a very Slavic face. Yeah, well,
1: yeah, the second you know that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Um, Do you have any fours? Crap. Give me tens. Go fish. Give me twos.
0: No. Go fish. Go ahead. Okay. Other thing we don't know again, unreliable narrator, old newspapers, and also a lot of just shitty tabloids, so they're not like really doing their research. Mm-hmm. We don't even know George C. Parker's his name.
1: Because
0: <laughs> he used like a thousand aliases. And so George C. Parker is the most common name that he was referred to as, but we have no evidence saying that was his real name. He could have just made that one up too.
1: Okay. It sounds good.
0: Yeah. All right, you give me queens? Hell yeah.
1: I was really hoping you were going to ask for that one again.
0: Hey, you got any Jacks? Go fish. Uh, sh- yeah.
1: Oh, you wanted to know what I meant by breakfast drink.
0: Yeah, what the hell? You were like, oh, they got all this expensive breakfast drinks. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is a breakfast drink? <laughs> okay, well. I pictured like a Bloody Mary with a hard-boiled egg in it.
1: I might have been having an afternoon drink when I was telling this story.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm pretty sure I meant mimosas. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> The article they were getting literally all this food says,
0: like, and breakfast drinks, you breezed over it And I was listening to it later, when I was editing it, I was like,
1: breakfast well, drink? I, I looked at the menu of the place that they went, and they do have, like, Bloody Marys and mimosas,
0: and I was just like... Breakfast drinks! Yeah, in my head, <laughs> I was just like,
1: you know, breakfast drinks. Like, you
0: know, actually that makes, what else do you drink for breakfast? That makes total sense if you meant Bloody Marys and mimosas. Those are breakfast drinks. Yeah, like... I just don't think breakfast drinks Alcoholic is a, breakfast, breakfast... Breakfast drinks is a phrase. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> breakfast drink.
0: Like oatmeal in class. <laughs> Gross. Okay, I can dig that. I'm going to
1: make you that tomorrow morning.
0: Oh, okay, talk to me. Do you have any twos? No. Go fish. Do you have any fours? Wait, hold on. Did you just get a two? I did. You son of a bitch. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Oh, yeah. So one of the guys who I mentioned was an imitator of George C. Parker, Mm -hmm. one of the nicknames that made you laugh, uh, William McCloundy, also known as I O U (laughs) O'Brien. We're not sure if he was an imitator of George C. Parker or just also George C. Parker. The, the reports vary on that guy, whether he's a completely separate con artist who sold the bridge, or he's just also George C. Parker in a disguise.
1: George C. I. O. U. O. O'Brien Parker.
0: William George C. I. O. U. O. O'Brien Parker. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like it. Okay.
0: Your turn for fish. Oh, okay. <laughs> My turn for fish. <laughs> fish. Uh, do me fives. Go fish. She... Tell me something. Oh, you wanted to know what Acme sweatpants were. Right. Well, when you were describing how she dressed, she said she wore Acme and Supreme sweatpants. Yes. And I, I thought that was a brand, so I Googled Acme and Supreme, and I found Supreme. Yes. But what the fuck is Acme?
1: Acne. Acne. Acne is in like the things on your face in a teenager. Acne. Acne. Yeah. It's a brand of sweatpants.
0: I assume they're expensive.
1: The joggers, like this piece of shit that I have right now that like maybe cost $10, they'd be $300 plus. Okay. And they don't have like logos or anything. They're just sweatpants.
0: Fancy sweatpants. Just sweatpants. All right. I can dig.
1: Yeah. So do you have any sixes?
0: Go fish. You bitch.
1: <laughs> I am so lucky. Uh, do you have any 10s?
0: Go fish. And stop doing that.
1: <laughs> I'm not doing it on purpose. Go ahead.
0: Okay. Oh yeah. Um, speaking of George C. Parker's aliases, there's one uh, I mentioned a few, but there's one I left off the list because uh, I didn't know it. I found it later. You'll enjoy this one. He was also known as Smooth Wilfred.
1: I'm <laughs> imagining this dog, but like wearing a men's trench coat in like <laughs> nice like aviator sunglasses, With a toothpick
0: in his mouth. Yeah, yeah. Smooth, almost Wilfred.
1: like like a detective dog. Yeah. Like Smooth Wilfred. I like it. Okay. Go ahead. Au
0: hey, yo. Uh, do you got any kings? Go fish. Yeah, tell me something now.
1: Oh, I was very U.S.-centric. Not that I'm not always, because I grew up here and born and raised and haven't really traveled at all.
0: Mm. Yeah, I I took you to Canada.
1: (laughs) Yes, that is true. I've been to Canada. Um, I realized the entire time I kept accidentally saying dollars when half the time I meant euros. Mm. So apologies to everybody who doesn't live in America.
0: Nah, Sarah's apology corner. Yes,
1: Sarah's apology corner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just acknowledging it. Fair enough. Acknowledgements?
0: No. No. (laughs)
1: Uh, do you have any jacks?
0: Shit. Here you go. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, do you have any fours?
0: Damn.
1: Um, have any tens? Go fish. Tell yeah. me a
0: thing. All uh, right. oh yeah. Another thing I learned after the episode, I think is kind of interesting. So the final crime that he actually got caught for, and then they managed from that crime to tie him to the rest of the crimes. It was like his last strike. The crime that actually put him in jail in 1928- was he forged a check for $150.
1: <laughs> That's what it was?
0: That's what it was. It wasn't selling the Statue of Liberty. It wasn't any of those big scams. He forged one check. They caught him and then finally connected the dots and went, oh, you're that guy. <laughs> uh, you
1: got any eights? Go Erm, mm. um, This is my last one. You told me to stop snapping. Please. <laughs> her response is never! <laughs> That's my last update. <laughs> okay. Great. Ooh, give me twos. Go fish.
0: Okay. I got one last one. Oh, this is actually my favorite one. Uh, this is an actual update. This is actually something that happened since uh, oh. the last episode. Well, I know, because like, it's like, this is a story from the 20s. Yeah, what? So in 2021, a person describing themselves as a young unknown artist or a collective of artists, also known as John Cleese, like the Monty Python, yeah. created his first NFT. And what he did is he drew a really, really shitty drawing of the Brooklyn Bridge and put it up as an NFT for sale. The bidding closed on April Fool's Day 2021, and uh, it sold for 17.78 Ethereum, or about $38,000, to an anonymous user named Jeff Bezos Foreskin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, what? He made an NFT making fun of NFTs. Using the Brooklyn Bridge. Bridge analogy. Oh, my God, I love And this. And made $38,000 off of it.
1: Was it actually John Cleese?
0: Yeah, yeah it was, it was oh, John the Cleese. The actual John Cleese. Oh, okay. He put a video up. It was great. Go look up uh, John Cleese's Twitter and find the Brooklyn Bridge NFT tweet. It's hilarious. <laughs> okay. And that's that hilarious. and that's all I got for you. I only have two sets down and you have four. So I'm going to go ahead and say that you won.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Um. Ooh. I think I'm going to go first. Ooh. I'm usually too insecure to go first, but I think I'm going to go first.
0: All right. What are you telling me about? The Oakville Blobs. The Oak decamp Town ladies. <laughs> the Oakville Blobs.
1: Blobs. Yeah, what?
0: Yeah, uh, Kay?
1: I know you're not from around here originally. Yeah. You're not
0: a local. You're not a local yokel. Yeah, hey, I've um, only been here for 20 years now. Okay, brag about it. But Do you know where Oakville is? No, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: that's what I was going to get. Um, mm. Oakville is a bit southwest of Olympia. Okay. Over in Grace Harbor County. It's a lot like Mineral Washington, where we went for that wedding.
0: Okay, it's rural as hell.
1: Population, I think, as of 2010 was 684. Dope. They have, like, a couple diners, a single grocery.
0: Oh, I kind of love that. I love, yeah. me, I love me a small town.
1: Actually, we should go through there. Sure. Um why not? If we're going to the coast, we drive right through it.
0: All right, great. They have blobs. They have blobs,
1: yes. Um, Originally a booming lumber town, as most towns in Washington were. Yeah, they have a grocery store, a couple diners, nothing too crazy. Until August 7th, 1994. (laughs) Ah! Well, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Officer David Lacey is on patrol. He's got a civilian in the seat. Probably his bro, because that's kind of what you do in the middle of nowhere. Arrest your cousin. Well, you're an officer in the middle of nowhere. You're like, hey, bud, I got to patrol the five streets around here. Do you want to drive around with me at three o'clock in the morning? He's like, yeah, bro, I'll be right there. So he's doing oh, that. Oh, I
0: thought you meant he'd arrested a guy. You I mean, you just had a dude. With- no,
1: we had a bro in the front seat. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, just hanging out with him. Yeah. So it starts raining. August, Washington. None of this is surprising, right? No. Although I was a little annoyed because every single story I read about this, people were like, oh, it rains 275 days out of the year in Oakville, Washington. I'm like, it's south of Olympia. It rains maybe 150 days out of the year here. So I looked it up. 157 days a year. Oh, yeah. There's precipitation.
0: Ah, yes, yes, yes. So,
1: I mean, don't tell anybody it doesn't actually rain that much here. No, it's actually
0: kind of nice here. Then they'll move here. But if you don't, yeah, don't tell them that or they'll get a job at fucking Microsoft and and clog up our bus system again.
1: Again. (laughs) Don't move to Washington.
0: Yeah, it's horrible. It's always raining.
1: Yes. So 3 a.m. Yeah. August 7th, 1994. It's raining in Oakville, Washington. Oakville, Washington. Not southern at all. It's (laughs) a coastal city.
0: Population 638.
1: Exactly. (laughs) So, it's raining.
0: You said it's raining like 16 times. Yeah. Okay. But it's not rain. It's goop. It's goop? It's goop. Coming from the skies.
1: Goop coming from the skies. A bizarre gelatinous substance starts coming from the skies.
0: What color was it? through. Okay, so just like KY jelly. Basically. Ugh.
1: But not just jelly. Blobs. Mm. They come down. Kind of looks like hail. A lot of people thought they were hail. Okay. Smashes into the surface. Uh-huh. And kind of extends a little bit into a blob. <laughs> yeah. Officer Lacey is freaked out. And yeah. he can't yeah. see Yeah He turns his windshield wipers on and it's like Goop 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 So he pulls over To a gas station You can't see shit Through the goop mm. And because he's a genius Slash an officer of the law He puts some gloves on For safety And doesn't just
0: touch The random substance Smart I probably would Like goop
1: Yeah <laughs> So he tries to wipe it off This is featured in an episode An old old episode Of Unsolved Mysteries Original with Robert Stack
0: Yeah Tonight On Unsolved Shit <laughs> Exactly
1: so, a quote from Robert Sack that I loved during this episode Officer Lacey pulled into a gas station to de his windshield.
0: He said de He said de goo. I like it.
1: I almost lost my shit. Poor Officer Lacey, we turned our windshield wipers on, and it just started smearing to the point where we could almost not see. We both looked at each other, and we said, Gee, this ain't right. I don't know why they're southern.
0: Yeah, you know what? Roll with it. Yeah. I like it.
1: We're out in the middle of nowhere, basically. And where did this come from? The substance was very mushy, almost like if you had jello on your hand. You know. You pretty much squish it through your fingers.
0: How is that spelled? Squish. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh okay. I thought you meant he wrote... <laughs> no. <S-S-Q-R-Q-K-K.
1: laughs> mm. Oh my gosh. <gasps> we knew it wasn't something we would normally see. Because we'd never experienced it before. We had some bells go off in our heads. What? <laughs> I know, that, that sentence made me laugh too. All right. We had some bells go off in our heads that said, basically, this isn't right. This isn't normal. Because usually goo doesn't end it's up on your It's usually not shield. raining goo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Of course, other residents in the area start going outside in the morning after the goo rain is done. And they look around, they're like, oh, it's hailed. And all of a sudden they look at the hail and they're like, this isn't hail. This is
0: squishy. Like it stuck around?
1: It stuck around. Just goo. So there's a couple of residents who, uh, one of them started at, I think they were a diner or grocery. Yeah. One of the four places there. One um, of
0: those options.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, starts at like 4 or 5 a.m. Usually when you start opening up shop before people come in. Uh, and she actually noticed the rain outside where she was working. Her name is Sunny Barclift. And she's going to show up a lot. And she said the rain looked thick and she thought it was due to a distortion in the glass. She's got EMT experience, but the way that she talks in a lot of interviews, I feel like she's kind of a true crime nerd. Very much like, oh, I believe this and this due to this. She's that kind of character. Right. She came home to her mom. Also lives in Oakville. Dottie Hearn. So Sunny and Dottie.
0: Oh, Sunny and Dottie.
1: Yeah, these these names are freaking adorable. So she goes to visit her mom. Mom said, Hey, I saw something weird. I think it's hail. Sunny's like, Please don't touch that. Of course, she decides to touch it. She picks it up, starts squishing it between her fingers, smelling it. So Sunny has some EMT training, as I said, and she's like. Probably should put some gloves on. So her and her brother put some gloves on. Good idea. And they start collecting samples. Again, I think she's a true crime nerd. Yeah, totally. I'm just calling it. <laughs> like
0: Egon, they slimed me. Great. Save some for me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, she is that person. Because then what she proceeds to do is she tries to test it out. So she puts some of it in water to see if it flowed. She tried to dissolve some in alcohol. And then she tried to burn it. Right. Weirdly enough, the only thing she gave an answer to, which I was kind of curious about, it didn't burn. Okay. So it like, rejected flame. Mm. But I didn't hear the solution to the other ones. I don't know if it dissolved in alcohol, and I have no idea if it floated or not, because uh, she didn't tell me. Okay. But she did say it rejected flame.
0: <sighs> that's good. Well, that's not flammable. That would be a <laughs>
1: problem. <laughs> <laughs> just the entire city of Oakville. <clears throat> Shit. So, after she collected her samples, she probably goes back to work. Nothing was really clear on the exact timeline of events. These people were not great
0: at, like, keeping notes. I mm, probably didn't think it was significant at the time.
1: <laughs> no, but I would have loved this, because right. I am a neurotic person like that. Right, right. Uh, so, she goes back to check on her mom. Goes in the house. Dottie doesn't answer. Finally, she finds her on the floor in the bathroom. Oh. Uh, she's drenched in sweat, and she'd been violently vomiting. So, of course, she calls the EMTs. She gets her to the hospital. And because, again, true crime nerd, she's suspicious. So, she takes one of her samples and brings it to the hospital with her. She's like, there's no way my mom, who's perfectly healthy 24 hours ago, touches this mysterious blob goo. And then, you know, four to five hours later, she's now randomly sick. Right. Dottie winds up being in the hospital for three days, and she's diagnosed with an inner ear infection. Okay. Later that day... Officer Lacey and various other residents start becoming randomly and violently ill. Ooh, yeah. Uh, they have difficulty breathing. They have extreme vertigo, blurred vision. Officer Lacey also had to go to the hospital because he had a temperature of 102 degrees. Uh, That's not he's normal. He's also vomiting violently and wound up being out of work for three weeks. Okay. Who had never taken a single sick day off in years. Everyone is like, the fuck? Everyone else is pretty much diagnosed with inner ear infections or respiratory illnesses. A woman named Beverly Roberts, who was interviewed in the Unsolved Mystery episode, said that basically everybody in the town had a flu for two to three months. geez Yeah. And the worst part, cats and dogs started living together. <laughs> uh, no, they actually started dying. Oh, sad. <laughs> that's, that's just, it's way sadder. I was trying to, like, lift up your spirits before I just <sighs> smashed them. Aww. Both of Dottie's dogs got ill for, like, a couple of weeks. Sunny found her eight-week-old kitten dead on the doorstep.
0: Aww. Right in the fucking cockles.
1: You want to know what she did with it? Ate it? She double bagged it, hosed down the porch, disinfected the entire porch with bleach, carried the dead double bagged kitten a couple miles away and buried it in the
0: middle of nowhere. Again, true crime nerd? That's what
1: I'm saying, right? (laughs) (laughs) Are you me?
0: Yeah. She's like, I am not taking any chances with this bullshit.
1: (laughs) Uh, So Sunny had brought the sample over to the hospital. Mm. Uh, Lab tech at the hospital found a clue as to what this might be. Mm. The weird gelatinous blobs contained human white blood cells.
0: The fuck? Yep. Okay. Strange <sighs>
1: gelatinous blobs coming from the sky that contain human, human white- Human cells. White blood cells, yep. Why'd they make everybody sick, though? I... And why'd they come from the sky? What the fuck? Why are human blood cells, goops, coming from the sky? Also, why is goop from the guy in general
0: like this? sounds like oh, they'll sounds like Oakville need Jesus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and not just that one time, too. So there's the first day that caused the whole hubbub on the 7th. These random blobs rained down six times over a three-week period. Weird. So just three weeks randomly, it's just like, I'm a blob <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> I didn't actually write that down. I came up with that all by myself. <laughs> nice. That's good. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so, of course, like any smart people, they decide to finally send this shit to the Washington Department of Health. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Department of Health does an analysis and they don't release it publicly ever. Oh, great. Weirdly enough, at some point during these three weeks, Officer Lacey was called out for a suspicious vehicle. He drives up, finds two people in hazmat suits. Collecting what seems to be samples of the blobs.
0: Fucking men in black. Fucking FBI, in, CIA. Fucking
1: men in hazmat suits.
0: Yeah, they're being experimented on. Ooh.
1: Yeah, he rolls up, they collect all their shit and leave at a freaking high speed out of there. He gets a license plate, runs a license plate. It's a federal car.
0: Ah, those fuckers. I knew they were up to something. Mm-hmm.
1: Local health authorities do not say shit about this the entire time. So the entire three weeks, all these people are like, the fuck is going on?
0: The health department had the sample and weren't reporting anything back. Nothing. Ooh. Well, they called the feds. Yeah, we
1: assume. I assume. Well, luckily, this is also featured on an episode of Monsters and Mysteries in America. Mm. I'd never heard this show. It's very much like a Discovery ID channel. Right, right. Featuring local legends and people who are like, Sasquatch I saw the snakeback
0: monster of Issaquah. Mothman, yeah. Yeah. Did you say snakeback muff monster? I Snakeback Monster of a Sequoia. Okay. <laughs> Snakeback Muff Monster. or something. I think, I, I think that's exactly what you said.
1: I think we need to start a comic. Okay. Anywho, the Monsters and Mysteries in America had an episode on this, and they actually submitted a request for the report, and they actually obtained it. Oh. There was human white blood cells in it. And two types of bacteria that are known to cause illness. Epidemiologists concluded that it was something that a bacteria or virus could also be inserted into.
0: Oh. The
1: gelatinous substance. It was examined by a microbiologist named Mike McDowell. Quote, it was very uniform. There was no structure that we could see visibly or with a microscope. And they discovered that it was teeming with these two types of bacteria. One of these bacteria lives in the human digestive system.
0: Oh. It gets weirder and weirder and weirder. So the goop had white blood cells with gut bacteria in it. Mm-hmm. Human. Mm-hmm. From the sky. Mm-hmm. Skybarf. In Washington. Huh.
1: Yeah. So theories. Theories. Airplane waste.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, blue ice and stuff does happen, Okay, I so guess. you know what airplane waste yeah, yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: For those who don't know, frozen sewage material that is leaked mid-flight from usually commercial aircrafts.
0: Yeah, it's not supposed to be leaked, but if there's a leak in the... There
1: you go. There you go. Yeah, You're taking my notes right out of me. I yeah, even no, had to no. italicize, not legally allowed to dump waste mid-flight, but leaks happen. <laughs> the
0: rumor that you can just dump poo and pee out of a plane mid-flight is completely... Obviously, you can't just rain piss and shit on people, but frequently there'll be a leak in the system... Just because it's a friggin' mechanical device, and then it'll accumulate on the outside of the airplane and freeze, and that's known as blue ice, because usually they use a uh, blue sanitary liquid in those things. And then yeah. if it gets big enough, it'll snap off a plane in flight and fall and thaw on the way down. So there are lots of news stories of people just hanging out in their backyard, and they're just getting, like, showered in shit out of nowhere.
1: Yeah. At that point, it's not really shit. It's been kind of like also digested by the chemicals. The right, yard. right,
0: right. It's it's sanitized poop, but it's usually not like transparent gelatinous blobs. It's a theory, but it'd I don't a, know. If it'd I'd be buy a
1: it. lump, not yeah. hundreds of thousands of random blobs. Or
0: if it melted on the way down, it would be like a brief sprinkle of liquid. It wouldn't be yeah. gelatinous.
1: There's also some discrepancy amongst witnesses as to the size of the blobs. Mm-hmm. Some say like smaller than a half a grain of rice, and some are like it was about the size of like a softball. Right. That's a bit of a variance. Yeah, I'm suspicious. Inhum, FAA ruled that out under regulations. Human waste is dyed blue. The substance was not blue, therefore it cannot be blue ice. Mm-hmm. Because I guess there's also never any issue of forgetting to do anything in aircrafts that ever lead to anything potentially negative or dangerous. Like, airplanes crashing, good job Boeing, whatever.
0: Yeah, but I don't think they dye it blue on the plane. I think they buy it's, the yeah. stuff.
1: Yeah, I think it's an easy theory to rule
0: out. And also, like, that was across the whole town.
1: So not just the whole town. It is across a 20-square-mile area.
0: that have to be a lot of shit. Yeah, that's not, like, one plane. No,
1: not at all. That's not one leak or one plane.
0: If they did get all showered and shit, it would make sense they got sick, but, like... Where'd poop from? <laughs> Where'd that poop be from?
1: And why would the feds already not know where the poop is
0: from? Mm-hmm. Why are they collecting samples? If it's even poop. Mm hmm. Okay.
1: So, a year after Dottie fell ill, Sunny mailed a sample that she kept in her freezer.
0: This fucking nerd. <laughs>
1: She mails it to AMTES Laboratories, a private research lab, because she still can't let this go. Like, right. most of us Yeah, couldn't. no,
0: I mean, this is why we need nerds.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, it's not like the blobs consistently were raining no, down a year still later. still like,
0: I don't have an answer.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the officer also, he's retired now. I guess he eventually made chief of police. Good. You know.
0: <laughs> well, that's still cheap. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're still, he's retired, but like, he's like, my
1: entire career, I kept looking for answers for this. Yeah. You know? So a year later, a guy named Tim Davis, microbiologist, believed he found a eukaryotic cell in there which is basically a cell that has a definable nucleus and is found present in most animals. Okay. So, it was alive. Okay. New theory after all this information. The Navy was conducting live bombing runs about 10, 20 miles off the coast. All right. The bombs are sending up jellyfish into the air.
0: Get out of here.
1: Yep. I'm not even kidding. This is an okay. actual theory.
0: Okay. Okay, like, they blew up the ocean, a bunch of jellyfish got, like, liquefied, or at least broken up into chunks, shot into the air, and then rained down? On specifically Oakville... Uh, Six times in three weeks. I I mean, it's feasible. It has rained fish before. So they
1: finally reach out and the Air Force does confirm that practice bomb runs were being conducted over the Pacific Ocean during this time.
0: Okay, so this is gang steam.
1: But they denied knowledge of any substance
0: being blown into the air. If they blew up a school of jellyfish, you know, that's just coincidence.
1: Yeah, I'm also not sure how you'd track that you blew up jellyfish, but also how would they then become evaporated into air to be carried?
0: They were swept up into the air in a cyclone, and uh, they were small enough, and the density of the air was large enough, it held them up there, and they fell later. So it's plausible. But still, that's a pretty fucking wild theory.
1: Mm -hmm. So I did find a New York Times article, a very, very tiny one that actually featured this. (laughs) Quote, Some people want to start an annual jellyfish festival now where they shoot jellyfish into town with a cannon. I'm in. (laughs) They also noted that the local tavern started a new drink called the jellyfish, made of vodka, gelatin, and juice. However, residents were pretty skeptical of the idea of jellyfish bombs, as I am. Mm. This just doesn't fucking make sense. It seems unlikely. Um, Sunny, again, this jellyfish would have been thrown into the air and floated 50 miles inland and over a period of three weeks, fallen six times in a month. I find that preposterous. This
0: does not add up. I'm supposed to deduce my own solution. <laughs>
1: right? And then her mom, who has like, she slurs more than I do. Uh, now, if that were jellyfish floating around up there for that long, it would have smelled a hot heaven. <laughs>
0: That's a fair point, Dottie. I was like, you know what? You're right. That's a fair point.
1: Another theory. Have mm. you ever heard of star jelly. No. It's a gelatinous substance found on grass or branches. Okay. Supposedly- Slime gang. Slime gang. Yeah. Deposited during meteor showers. Mm. Uh, it's usually translucent, gray-white. Evaporates shortly after falling.
0: Mm. So
1: I don't think that would fit this because it's stuck around for hours. Mm. But, you know. Adjacent. Yeah. Let the people have their fun. Some people believe it's the remains of frogs or
0: toads or worms or
1: possibly something paranormal.
0: I like that angle.
1: Yeah. Weirdly enough, it actually has like a lot of history. Uh, it was first mentioned by John of Gaddesden. In a medical writing, I think the first edition was 1502, Stella Terra, a certain mucilaginous substance that lies upon the earth, and said it could be used to treat abscesses.
0: I don't want that.
1: So this guy in the 1500s is seeing some goo. goo, and he's like, you know what we should do with this? Stick it on a wound.
0: Put it in people. See what happens. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that was medicine back then. Just goo. put it on and see if it will cure broken. Like stick a...
1: it up his butt or
0: probably cures cancer. You'll have a good time at least. Yeah.
1: The other actual theories are that it's formed out of, like, the glands of toads and frogs that die. Yeah. Slugs. Something.
0: Yeah. come.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Just ejaculate everywhere. Pretty gross. So, anyways, star jelly. Yeah. Doesn't really hold a lot of, like, oomph to it. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe the jelly disappeared, but that doesn't explain why the officer
0: saw them his windshield from the sky. If it was dead frogs, why the hell did it fall from the sky? Right, exactly. Yeah. I guess
1: if it fell from meteors, that'd be a different thing, but how are you going to have six meteor showers in three weeks?
0: Well, also, star jelly is not a thing that's been proven, it's just a...
1: It's not, it's a theory. Yeah.
0: Theory is a strong word. It's a woolly-woolly paranormal thing, which is why we're here today. A historical thing. A historical woolly-woolly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Last theory that's really gotten a hold of people, they believe that Oakville was the site of a military experiment. Okay, so we're going full military government. Let's go experimenting on their own citizens, kind of shit. We're
0: going contrails here, yeah.
1: And this is actually the one that most people to this day in Oakville still believe. Okay, like you and I could probably go to the single tavern in Oakville, have a drink, and be like, "Tell me about the blobs."
0: Let's do it. Actually, it's not like, yeah, that far we away. Let's go. Yeah, yeah.
1: So an experiment designed to test a new biological weapon, or possibly test like the damage of a biological weapon. Mm. And they're like, "Oh yeah, no, definitely," because there were military aircraft flying over during this period. At first, I thought this was absolute bullshit, and just like. I need to believe something and I need to have an answer, therefore, the military. Right. We've seen this way too much lately.
0: There's here something, I don't know what it is. Must be the damn government coming for my balls. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Because
1: the government loves your testicles. Yeah. yeah. They should. <laughs> um, <laughs> weirdly enough, uh, in the Monsters and Madness of Whatever America, Monsters and Mysteries, somehow they find this really fascinating conspiracy theorist, paranormal investigator esque gentleman to interview for their episode. As far as I can tell, he's never been to Oakville. He's not from Washington. Just a guy. Really into the blobs because he's into paranormal. And they interviewed him. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy, right? Clyde Lewis of Ground Zero Radio.
0: Oh, that sounds fun. Yes. This is going to be like coast to coast AM.
1: Yeah. His biography starts with, Clyde Lewis is a powerful voice in parapolitical and paranormal news and commentary.
0: Parapolitical.
1: I've never heard that word before. I'm going to leave it alone. Yeah, same. Some of his credentials. He's been published in UFO Magazine and Unknown Magazine. Ooh. He's in Citizen Toxie, The Toxic Avenger Part 4. I've
0: seen that. He provided the voice for the title character. Wait, he's the Toxy voice guy? Clyde Lewis is Toxie. I don't know if I like him more or less because of that. We don't know.
1: <laughs> Currently, he's working with a lawyer and private eye Galen Cook.
0: Wait, well, I bet she's neither of those things. <laughs> <laughs>
1: On the investigation of the latest suspect in the D.B. Cooper case.
0: It's also local. Hell yeah.
1: Yeah. Named Wolfgang Gossett. He's a one-time associate of Clyde Lewis's. Obviously, you always suspect your one-time associates so right, being right,
0: D.B. Right, Cooper. I know who D.B. Cooper Of course, was. right. He stole my lawnmower. Yeah,
1: so he's currently working with somebody on the new D.B. Oh, Cooper case. That's kind of
0: fucking awesome. I like this guy. All right, so what's your yeah, theory?
1: He's a hoot. His theory about the Oakville, Washington blobs is that the U.S. Army was testing the effect of a bioattack mm. on the city. They're like... Okay, well, in case a bioattack does happen, let's rain these blobs that could contain a virus, maybe it doesn't, see how far it spreads, see what happens, see what the local emotions are.
0: Maybe it was a minor virus to see if it worked. See what the effect would be. Yeah.
1: If this ever did happen on U.S. soil, let's test it on these, like, 650 people that don't mean a lot and wouldn't talk a lot.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if it's a carrier of bacteria... And they did
1: say it could carry something. uh,
0: But it was only carrying, like, gut bacteria, so people got sick, you know, same as you get, you know, if you drink contaminated water... (laughs) But it might have been a minor test for a delivery system for something more insidious.
1: Yes. And his entire backup for that is that the U.S. Army supposedly sprayed cadmium sulfide over St. Louis, Missouri in the 50s as a test. I thought it was bullshit. And I was like, this guy's crazy. Mm. Then I Googled it. Yeah. He's not.
0: Uh, Yeah, I've heard of this. (laughs) Operation
1: LAC, large area coverage. They dispersed microscopic zinc cadmium sulfide particles over much of the United States and Canada in order to test dispersal patterns and the geographic range of chemical or biological weapons during bio-warfare. Yeah. To see what the effects were. This
0: is kind of famous. The listeners may not know this, but um, yeah, during the Cold War, the U.S. government did a lot of testing on U.S. civilians all over the country without telling them a damn thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, it's not like there are any other provable things where we test drugs or anything on our own citizens or Canadian citizens to see that the effects are. We've never done that before.
0: Don't know what you're talking uh,
1: about. Yeah, no, nothing at all. So I'd say that is the one that actually holds the most.
0: You know, it is compelling. It is, right? That does sound likely.
1: What the fuck else could it be? Jellyfish. The jellyfish one's really amusing, and I the like fact that, that they one. named a drink after it is pretty fucking fantastic. Anyways, to this day, they still have no fucking clue what happened. We still don't know what the Oakville blobs are, and people in Oakville. And a lot of Olympia all know about this. Like, this is a local kind of legend. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the Oakville blobs.
0: Weird dude. Goo. Sky goo. Yeah. Sky goo with poo bacteria.
1: <laughs> Sky poo.
0: Sky poo.
1: Pook. Goop. Sky goop. Scoop. <laughs> <laughs> Reading it, I was like, oh, goop blob. It's a lot of fun words to say to yourself.
0: Gelatinous. Yeah. That's fun. The, the
1: Oakville blobs. I'd
0: never heard of that. That's yeah. very weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. So, you ready? Mhm. I'm going to tell you about giant rock. Singular giant rock. Okay. So, giant rock is a giant rock.
1: <laughs> the end. Episode over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Before we get started, uh, I should mention that this story was prompted by a listener of the show. We have listeners. Um, we do have a few, and uh, that listener is my mom. Oh. <laughs> Peg McClure, Uh, check out Peg McClure LLC on Redbubble and uh, pegsportfolio.com. And she's very supportive and sent in this wildly fascinating story. And uh, here's to Peg. Peg. Okay. We're going to go on a little journey here. All right. Ready? We're going to go on a little flight across the sands (laughs) (laughs) to the middle of the Mojave Desert. Mm. This is about uh, three hours east of Los Angeles, about four hours south of Las Vegas, not on any major highway. So you have to go out of your way to find this thing. And it's a big-ass rock. Is it giant? It's giant. Okay. <laughs> but uh, it's not really notable to just have big-ass rocks out there. So this area of the world is right near Joshua Tree National mm-hmm. Park, which is, you know, world famous for these big rock formations. Picture, like, the Vasquez Rocks from Star Trek. It's that kind of landscape. It's mostly just this really sandy yellow dirt, a few little desert shrubs here and there. But then every once in a while, there's this big, weird-looking rock formation. That's this whole landscape. So it's not super weird for there to be a big rock there. What's special about Giant Rock is that it is the largest freestanding boulder in the world. Freestanding meaning it's not like part of a pile of boulders or on a mountain or anything. It's just this big, round rock out there just sitting on the dirt. Okay. Where did uh, come from? It's a natural formation. Presumably it rolled down from one of the hills around the area and just landed out there. Mm-hmm. Nobody's really postulating that it itself is supernatural. It's just a weird giant boulder just sitting out there kind of looking funny. It's, it's strange. It is 100 feet tall. Jesus. It covers 5,800 square feet and it's estimated to weigh about 25,000 tons. Is it still called a rock at that size? It's a boulder. Okay. <laughs> egg-shaped. It's a giant rock, (laughs) presumed to be a natural formation, so uh, it being there is not so very important to this story. What's important is it's got this very strange history involving a bunch of kind of interesting characters and also, possibly, aliens...
1: I was hoping that's where you're going. Yeah. With this.
0: Okay. We're going, little green man. You're not going to tickle me with those <laughs> fingers. <laughs> okay, so the rock's been around since before human history uh, for hundreds, presumably thousands of years. It was a sacred place for the Native American tribes of the area. There's three or four kind of dotted around the area. And according to folklore, tribal elders would gather there to have meetings and ceremonies. Not the rest of the tribe, mind you. They would actually mandate that they stay a mile away from the rock. All of the VIPs could step foot around the rock because it held power, according to their you know, various native religions. They didn't call it Giant Rock, though. They called it Great Stone. <laughs> That's so much better.
1: <laughs> Big fucker.
0: <laughs> giant pebble. <laughs> well, so it's just kind of nice that the European settlers didn't then name it something else stupid. They kind of carried the same name down. It's just yeah. called Giant Rock. Okay. So we're going to flash forward to the 1930s. <laughs> Because, unfortunately, by then, in the 1930s, the Native American population in the area had been pretty much wiped out by disease, mostly. As far as I can tell, they weren't forcibly driven out of the area because it's so remote. It wasn't, like, something that the white man wanted. They didn't want the light in the first place. You know, but the various epidemics kind of swept through there, and so the Native American population was pretty much gone. So the rock had been basically forgotten. Until this dude called Frank Kritzer... And Frank Kritzer is a sort of a mysterious, enigmatic character. Uh, we know stuff about his life mostly through hearsay. He told his stories to people and they repeated it. Um, there's not a lot of records on him. We do know that he was born in 1888 in Germany and he served as a seaman.
1: <laughs> my inner 12-year-old can't. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, I knew that was going to happen too. I to paused. My- <laughs> he served as a seaman in the uh, German Navy. And then once he got out, he moved to America and became an American citizen. And he worked on commercial fishing vessels and then also served as a merchant marine.
1: An American seaman?
0: Kind of, yeah. I <laughs> know. Uh, merchant marines are U.S. citizens conscripted to serve the military. So they run supplies and stuff, but they're not actually in the military. Um, so he served you know, like that for years. But uh, he had to retire because he got a lung problem, which was exacerbated by moisture. So you can't really be a sailor anymore. Not quite. Well, so you know what's he gonna do? Turn Move lemons into the l- desert. Turn lemons into lemonade. He becomes a gold prospector. Oh, okay. Because it's all in environments completely devoid of moisture. He can do this work, mm-hmm. and so he learns all about prospecting and like how to dynamite stuff and where to dig for Is gold. A prospective prospector. He's a prospective prospector. No, no. Apparently, he became quite good at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was his career. So, so he, he actually
1: made money. Found
0: off. gold. I mean, at least a little bit of money. And uh, so while he's out prospecting in the California desert, he rediscovers giant rock. Oh. Most likely nobody had laid eyes on this thing in years. There's no roads leading there. The closest paved road is like 30 miles away. Nobody goes out there. So he finds it while prospecting and becomes immediately fascinated with giant rock. Because it's this weird giant... Giant rock? That only he knows about. So he sets up camp there and lives there for a while while he's prospecting the surrounding hills. Until one day he gets the idea that what he wants to do is build a house under the rock.
1: Like, dig under it or, like, kind of in the eaves of the egg? Under. Okay. But
0: we're going to leave that alone for a while. I do. Because we're popping uh, a quick flight about three hours west over to Santa Monica, California. hmm And uh, in Santa Monica, California, we're at this little local gas station, and we are at the gas pump, and we are meeting 20-year-old George Van Tassel, who's currently pumping gas.
1: Same timeline.
0: Yeah, not traveling in time, just space. Okay. 20-year-old George Van Tassel. He was originally born in Jefferson, Ohio, It's a small town about an hour east of Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Raised in a a sort of average middle class family, yada yada, normal childhood small town. But he was always fascinated with airplanes. And so when he graduated high school, he got a job as a mechanic at a small airport in the Cleveland area and uh, worked there on planes servicing them. also got his pilot's license when he was pretty young, like a teenager. He ended up in Santa Monica at this gas station because it was owned by his uncle Needed some help running the garage. Knew the kid was good with the plane engines. And so George went out to visit, ended up staying and working at the garage. So one day they're out there doing garage mechanic stuff. And this weird dude pulls up in a 1917 Essex. Essex isn't around anymore. Mm -hmm. But picture a boxy like 1910s, 1920s car, like a Model T. Yeah. Pulls up with one of those things just banging and thumping around. Guy steps out and it's Frank Kritzer. Okay. He has zero money. This is the middle of the Depression. Yeah. He happens to be in town doing some work, probably selling the gold he prospected. And his car is breaking down and making all kinds of noise. And he asks them to fix it for free if they can. He happens to pull into the right garage because George Van Tassel and his uncle, they know it's the middle of the Depression. They've actually got a pretty lucrative business because people pay for parking for one of the buildings across the street. So they Mm -hmm. actually have plenty of money. They're doing okay. And they say, you know what? Sure, dude. Yeah, we we'll come inside. We'll take a look at the car at least. And so while they're looking at the car, they get to talking to this guy and they find his story fascinating. He's telling them about the rock he found and he's telling them about his gold prospecting and he was planning to build a house under the rock. And he's already started work on it. They just both described him as kind of this manic, mad genius type guy. So what he said to them was, you know, when he saw the rock, the first thing he thought of was a tortoise shell. Hmm. You know, even though it's a rounded rock, he thought of a turtle shell and how protective it is. And he went, wow, it'd be great to live under a giant protective rock. What's safer than living under a giant immovable rock? And so they love this guy. And they're like, yeah, we'll totally fix your car because you can get back out there and build that boulder.
1: Yeah, go dig underground, you crazy little
0: mole. Fucking do it. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yes, they fix his car and they don't bill him. They, in fact, give him 30 bucks and a big box of food and send him back on his way to go build his house. And they kept in touch. And about a year later, they went out to visit him because it's only three hours. They were like, let's go check this out. And they go out there and they see the giant rock and they go, holy shit, this is a big ass rock. And he's actively dynamiting under the rock to clear out some space to have a home under there. And important to note about Frank Kritzer, he didn't ask to do this. He did not get any permits. It was technically federal land, not like a national park, but you you have to ask the government and get a certification. He didn't ask for that shit. He just went out there found a rock in the desert, and started building this house. I
1: assume this wasn't as closely monitored as other things, especially on the West Coast at that point in time. It's
0: 1930. Yeah. <laughs> nobody except Frank Kritzer, George Van Tassel and his uncle, had seen yeah. this rock in 100 years. Nobody goes out there. Yeah, no, he's fine. The
1: nice part about the West Coast at that point in time is like, you do whatever you want. Well, there's
0: also a thing called squatter's rights. Yes. where So if you go out there and you find it and you claim it and nobody else is using it, you do have a certain set of rights to <laughs> it. The government could theoretically take it. Theoretically? Theoretically. Theoretically. <laughs>
1: theoretically. The government
0: could have... I see you
1: looking at these titties.
0: I mean, you can't miss them. <laughs> so the government could theoretically come along and try to steal it from him. He would have the right to say, no, it's mine. I found it. Which mm-hmm. is technically true. I mean, this is the early 1900s. And so there's still just land people haven't found yet, mm-hmm. like this rock. So, any who's. George and his uncle come visit him and go, wow, this guy's cool. And they hang out with him. They really like the guy. He's built this little camp around there. And he's building this crazy house. And I'm like, cool. All right, well, good to meet you. And they fuck off back to Santa Monica. Wish him well. Stay in touch via letter or whatever.
1: Especially like, you're building a house under a giant egg. Mm. How many things could you possibly have to write about? I've started gaining weight under the rock. Me and this gecko are best friends. I've named him Douglas. Douglas <laughs> the
0: gecko. I found more rock today.
1: Pretty exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've gained 10 inches.
0: That wish. <laughs> All right. So Frank Kritzer, over the next few years, he continued this house project. Because it takes a while, because the, mm-hmm. the floor out there is just hard granite. But he managed to build himself a 400 square foot home directly under the rock. He made it. He did it.
1: No shit,
0: okay. They yeah, like blasted and blasted and blasted and dug it out and he built up a four hundred square foot home. So not huge. Hmm. But still it's that's not legit. for one guy, that's enough to live. It turned out to be a really genius idea. Like I said, this guy's a mad genius because it's the fucking Mojave Desert. So, at its coldest, it gets well below freezing. Mm Like At its hottest, it gets well above 100 degrees. He's under a rock. The rock acts as a natural insulator. Mm -hmm. So, during the night when it's cold, it gets really, really fucking cold. So, during the day, it's hot out there, but this giant rock above you is still really, really fucking cold. Same thing when it's hot. During the winter, the sun hits it, the entire rock slowly heats up, and it takes all night to cool back down.
1: That's why reptiles are always around rocks in the desert. Yeah,
0: exactly. So, because of that phenomena, the house never got colder than 55 degrees. Never got hotter than 80 degrees. It could be 130 outside, it'd be 80 degrees. It could be 20 degrees below freezing, it'd be 55 inside. I'm going to live like him. There's obviously no running water out there, right? So he engineered himself his own rainwater collection system that would collect rain on the stone, channel it down into his tanks, and so he'd always have fresh rainwater to use in the house. right. He engineered a ventilation system because obviously if you close the door, there's no outlets, you will suffocate. So he engineered his own ventilation system around the rock. And the other thing he realized, once he'd sort of got this house set up down there, is that the surrounding scenery is natural granite desert floor. It is perfectly flat once you scrape the vegetation and the sand off the top. So, he decided to build an airport. What?
1: That's a good way to make money.
0: Yep. So, he got the same 1917 Essex piece of shit car, and he put a big slab of iron behind it, weighted it down with rocks, and just dragged it across the floor of the desert until it was perfectly smooth. And he built an entire runway just out there by his rock. It was called Giant Rock Airport. He built a 33-mile road for himself to get to the nearest town. The LA Times speculated that it might be the world record for one-man road building. 33 miles by yourself in your fucking shitty old banger car. But he did it. This crazy-ass German guy. He also installed a radio tower on top of a nearby hill and ran 4,800 feet of wire back to the boulder so that he had broadcast radio, but he could also do like ham radio and talk Mm -hmm. to other people with his radio tower. Inside the house, he built a wood-burning cook stove. Holy shit. So he lived there with just him and his dog.
1: Oh, he had a dog. Yeah, of course he had a dog. Like my first thing when you said that he actually made the house, I was like, oh, he needs a dog now.
0: And people would come visit because he had this radio tower. He could talk to people and people sort of heard there was this guy out there. He had friends. Aww. And so every once in a while, somebody would fly in and land on his little airstrip. And they'd go hang out with him under the rock and they'd talk. Uh, famously, if you came and visit him, he would use his stove he built to cook you German pancakes and serve them to you on the table while your legs were <laughs> propped up on his boxes of dynamite. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh my god. We get the dynamite in the house.
0: Yeah. <laughs> We're also going to keep it outside.
1: I guess. They're just yeah. dynamite in the house. Yeah.
0: <laughs> he lived there and he'd do his prospecting in the hills around him, but also he would do strange experiments because uh, he was sort of a mad genius type, right? Did uh, lots of chemical experiments. He had lots of time to his hands while he was in his weird little <laughs> rock house. I did
1: lots of chemical experiments in my early
0: 20s, too. And, yeah. Right. Well, this guy, <laughs> this guy is in like his 40s by now. So uh, he wrote a book called Glass Age in 1936, unfortunately now lost. Nobody has a copy of this anymore, but those who read it said that he had discovered chemically how to invent most modern plastics, like the kind we use today, Tupperware, all that stuff. He had figured out the chemical compounds for those in 1936 in his rock house just by doing strange math and playing around with stuff. He sent a manuscript in to be typed up and it was lost, but everybody who read it was like, no, the guy was a genius. So, one of the things he claimed he found is a series of glass-lined tunnels under the rock and in the desert around. Tunnels uh, presumably large enough for a man to walk down. So, somebody inserted a glass tube into stone. I didn't say smooth. Oh. Like, rough caves, but the walls, instead of being rock, were glass.
1: Oh, okay. So, you could do that by heating rock.
0: Theoretically, right. But what would do that? So Lasers. Th- Maybe. Oh, okay. Maybe. I mean, tell me. Unfortunately, on July 25th, 1942, the Lao finally came after him. So here's the problem. Uh, We're in World War II now. Mm -hmm. We started before that, but now we're in the midst of World War II, and all of a sudden the authorities are hearing about a mysterious German guy living out in the desert with a bunch of dynamite.
1: In an airfield?
0: An unregistered airstrip, a giant radio tower, and he's doing weird experiments. Not a good look. No, not... Not a good look for wartime. No. And so all these agencies start sort of quietly investigating him. He doesn't know he's being investigated, but they're all looking at him.
1: How could he not if he's a genius and there's a war going on against Germany?
0: At least he'd be like, hmm, maybe this isn't a good look. I just didn't think about it. I mean, first, I of, geniuses are first socially of all, aware. he's been an American citizen for like two decades now. Second of all, he served the U.S. military.
1: Most people in it Japanese ne- internment camps are also citizens of America for most of their, if not, entire lives. Uh, and some of them had
0: served in the military. Agreed, yes. it was a bad time in America. Yeah. He didn't think anybody would come after him, but of course somebody did. Mm. So one day, three cops show up at his house. Their names were uh, Harold Simpson, Fred Pratt, and Mac McCracken.
1: <laughs> some of these names you find.
0: It's just their names, I don't know. So uh, these aren't feds, these are local police. And according to them, they were there because he hadn't registered for the draft and he was required to register for the draft. Keep in mind, he was 52 at the time. When the draft started, uh, 50 was the cutoff, and then they'd raised it to 55. So he had not gone in and registered after they'd raised the age. So these cops had to go out and basically bring him in and force him to register. At least that's what the cops said was the reason for going out there. Many others have speculated they're hauling him in because all these people are interested in this German guy doing experiments. They were there to arrest him, interrogate him, that kind of thing. But according to the cops, it was just the draft card thing. Anyways... So the cops show up and they say, all right there, Frank, uh, you got to come in station. We got to register you for the draft. It's the law. Frank says, I don't want to go. This is my home. I'm not going to go to war at 52. Like, no, I'm going to stay here. And they say, we have to bring you in. You have to come with us. And he goes, okay, let me just go inside and grab my coat. So he walks into his house, slams the door, barricades it and refuses to come out. So what the fuck are the cops going to do, right? It's under a 25,000 ton boulder. <laughs> well, so... The thing that happens next varies depending on who you ask. According to uh friends and those who knew him in town, the cops decided to gas him out. So there's a window over by the door, and they decided to throw a tear gas grenade through the window to try and flush him out with the gas. Problem being, the tear gas grenade lands on the dynamite. <sighs> now, the authorities' official line is that he refused to come out, and he was yelling at the cops and said, You'll never take me alive. If you're going to take me, I'm taking you with me. That's what the cops say. We don't actually know what led to what happened, but what happened was a fucking massive explosion. All the dynamite he had stored up in there went off at once. The rock survived. The rock didn't move. It's 25,000 pounds. What did happen is Officer Simpson, who was standing near the entrance, he got thrown 80 feet through the air over the head of Officer Pratt and landed behind him. Over his head? Yeah, whoop. One of Frank Kritzer's vertebrae, Shot out of the underside of the rock like a bullet and actually went fully through Officer McCracken's body. Whoa. All three officers survived with serious injuries, but they all survived. Uh, Frank Kritzer obviously was killed instantly. It totally destroyed the house. Unfortunately, it also killed the dog who was inside with him. And he didn't set that up himself. That's what the cops say.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. If I'm left inside underneath the rock where I could easily fight against him it's defensible... I'm not killing myself and my dog. Also, he could have lived in there for a long time without doing anything. The cops weren't going to do shit. They couldn't break in through his house. He could live at the house barricaded.
0: He can't live in the house barricaded because that would mean the federal government can't beat a man and they're going to send tanks and shit. This is Waco. He knew the score. Again, if that's what happened.
1: Mm-hmm. I think uh, they killed him.
0: I think they killed him, too. Mm-hmm. I don't think they meant to, actually. These are local guys. No, no, no. They threw I think g- they liked him. I think they tried to get him alive because yeah. they had to because they were being told by their bosses. Yeah. They tried like- to... Tear gas him out, I and then the entire fucking place. house exploded, and they're sitting there with broken arms like, what the fuck? Anyway, that was the end of Frank Kritzer.
1: Obviously. <laughs> He's missing a vertebrae.
0: He shot somebody with his body. Yes. Yeah, Especially she <laughs> pre-metal. So what about George Van Tassel?
1: Yeah, why are we bringing this up, this Tassel artist?
0: Like... Well, so in the 12 years since they had last met, Van Tassel had turned his early interest in flight working at the airport and his love of mechanics into a very, very successful career in aerospace. So George Van Tassel had worked for all the biggest aircraft companies at the time, Douglas, Hughes, Lockheed. Uh, In the meantime, he'd gotten married to a guy called Eva, uh, and they had three daughters named Darlene, Sandra, and Glenda. And he had this whole successful career and all this life set up. And then he read in the newspaper about Frank's death. And he remembered this guy as being super interesting and friendly, really liked him. They'd kept up contact and he was heartbroken. And so he drove out to Giant Rock and he found that all of Frank's belongings had been confiscated. The airport was shut down. The house was gutted. Everything he had, including the car, had been taken away. And then he went down into the remains of Frank's house, which the wall has survived because mm-hmm. it's granite. There was nothing in there except a uh, splatter of Frank's blood on the wall.
1: Oh, did not even clean it?
0: So, uh, despite the trauma of his friend dying there, he was still in love with the area. He was still fascinated by Giant Rock and the beautiful, perfectly flat desert landscapes and the mountains in the distance. So, he ended up vacationing in that area, specifically around Giant Rock. For years, he'd bring his family, his daughters out there. You know, they'd go out there and camp, look up at the desert sky and all that kind of shit. So, in uh, 1947, after World War II, which I did in 45, and so the aircraft industry was kind of winding down. George had already made a fair amount of money for himself. And so he decided he was going to carry on Frank Kritzer's legacy. So at the age of 37, he bought the property, legally this time, actually bought that whole track to land the airport, the whole thing, quit his job in aerospace and moved his whole family to Giant Rock. He uh, repaired Frank's old house and rebuilt it and improved it, fixed up and reopened the airstrip, still as Giant Rock Airport. With his wife, he builds a cafe in front of the rock, called the come on in that's so cute which uh became a local favorite because of his wife eva's hamburgers and particularly famous spiced apple pie Ooh, okay and so it became a sort of local stopping ground especially if you're a pilot and you need to stop somewhere like between vegas and la you would fly in you would stop at the giant rock airstrip look at the giant fucking rock hang out and talk to george van tassel who was a genius in his own right and had all these crazy ideas and Go eat some of Eva's pie at the come on in. then yeah, so he basically just rejuvenated what uh, Fritzer was trying to build. Um, Kritzer? Kritzer. Fritzer. Fritzer and Gassel.
1: <laughs> I like Gassel.
0: Yeah. He also discovers and continues uh, Frank Kritzer's old scientific research.
1: Into the weird caves? Mm-hmm. Okay, I was going to say, like, don't leave me hanging about those because I'm going to get
0: weirdly annoyed. There are only two men in the world who have seen these glass tunnels Frank Kritzer, and George Van Tassel. But George Van Tassel claimed that he did some digging and rediscovered this network of glass tunnels under the ground under this whole area. He also, because he was sort of into alternative thought, starts doing meditations under the rock. So just, you know, middle of the night, just quiet, do these really intense meditations directly underneath the stone, this object of power in the local area. And in 1952, he starts getting... Strange telepathic transmissions from aliens. What? Through the rock or just in general? Well, theoretically. I'm going to go ahead and say theoretically for everything I'm going to say after this. Obviously. uh, I'm just going to state it as fact. It's it's woo-woo. Yeah. He starts getting telepathic transmissions from aliens because the network of glass tunnels under the ground function as a giant receiver with the rock as a focal point. And so if you sit under the rock and you open your mind, you can receive these telepathic transmissions from creatures beyond the stars. Okay. Motherfucking aliens. Aliens! <laughs> okay, so yeah, he would do these meditations under the rock, and thanks to the power of the glass tunnels, he would start getting transmissions. Telepathically, uh, the word he coined was radioned directly into your head. So the thing with radioning is that they're not just like Vague telepathic statements, not just sort of uh, emotions or abstract thoughts. These are like letters. You will get a clear transmission, like paragraphs of spoken word, but all through your brain, dude. Spoken word poetry going through your brain. So when he was getting one of these communications, he would be speaking the words that were coming to him. And there's audio tape of this happening, of him saying these things. And so these were written down and they are full on, hello, my name is, we are from this. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what's going to happen. We hope to hear from you soon. That kind of thing. So uh, he learned a bunch about this alien race that was communicating with him, right? They're from either a planet or a section of the galaxy, not really clear, called Cherie. He learned about their government structure. He learned all about their sciences. They sent him information about how their ships work, how their technology works. All the pies. Their philosophy, their religion...
1: I really hope this is, like, a second grade assignment on this alien planet. And they're just all like, find your favorite, like, remote alien individual to write to. And they're just all like, hello, <laughs> hello, dear Earth." V- <laughs> My Tassel. cat turned
0: five today, Mr. George.
1: <laughs> I look to meeting you one day, Van Tassel. How are your children? I love you. Goodbye. <laughs> this is Van
0: adult Do you want to know some of their names? I really do. <laughs> uh, he spoke to Lutban Elkar. Totalman, Latimarx, Locktopar, my good man, Topar, He spoke to Cletarch and like dozens, hundreds more. He would get these letters uh, and, and he would respond to them telepathically and they would write back and forth. And so he was the voice of the whole human race. And Unless the were,
1: Native Americans were also speaking to him. So. That's why only the wise ones were allowed near it.
0: Possibly. The only people who were smart enough to find this thing and use it were you know Native Americans who gathered around that rock this crazy german guy kritzer mm-hmm. and then finally george van tassel
1: by the way how do i make something that can like repel water and make food taste good here's the recipe for plastic
0: exactly how the hell did kritzer know and be able to do all the things that he did right well george van tassel about to do some shit so I'm all in these messages that he spoke which are all written down there's a like books and books of just transcriptions of all the messages he received and the messages seemed to be able to predict later ufo sightings so, he would get a message from Locktamar that they were going to make a visitation to a certain area, like Washington, D.C., right? And then... The next month, hundreds of people would see UFOs in Washington, D.C.
1: My dad's going on a vacation to your place called Washington, D.C. No,
0: Please check it
1: out. Say hi. Uh,
0: It wasn't like it was just random shit. They would have rank. You know, they would say, I am Latimarks. I am the second uh, corporal of the third fleet of the Sherry, you know, uh, investigation force. We will be flying through your atmosphere. wanted to say hi because he's the only person they can talk to on Earth. Just letting you know, we're going to do this thing. Heads up. Thanks for hearing our message. But then, yeah, like a month later, people would spot UFOs. People who had no idea who the fuck George Van Tassel was would see UFOs over D.C. That's where it gets weird, is that he seemed to be able to predict certain things. And this is not just civilians spotting this. This is like the U.S. military. The the Air Force would report strange lights over the Pacific Sea after he'd predicted that a week earlier, Mm -hmm. saying, oh, they say they're going to be flying in this area this week. The aliens actually wrote and apologized to him a couple of times by saying, Uh, sorry that you are getting ridicule from your fellow planet dwellers. We're just trying to talk to you guys. It's not your fault. They don't believe you. Okay, so he was like, by the way, hey, I tr- I'm the laughing stock of the world right now. I tried to tell DC you guys were flying through. They all said I was full of shit, and then they freaked out when you flew through. <laughs> I knew you tried to warn us. That was th- Sorry, bro. That's literally how these things read. Okay. For example, one of the things the aliens told him that came true was that they were doing uh, nuclear tests. Even though this is post-World War II, they were still doing H-bomb tests. Mm-hmm. And the hydrogen bomb, the aliens were very, very concerned about. Because the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs... They were talking about they weren't hydrogen bombs. Hydrogen mm-hmm. bombs are the big brother. And those are the ones that have only been tested, never really used. Yeah. Those are the ones that would be, like, world-endingly destructive. Yep. You know, he's in the California desert next door to the Nevada desert. They're testing the bombs out there. And the aliens are communicating to him, hey, do not do this H-bomb stuff. We really want your species to evolve and Star Trek with us. And this is a bad call. And uh, one of the things he predicted was if they do these H-bomb tests, people are going to get sick in the towns all around these H-bomb tests, right? Well, because the government had not quite figured out how destructive this was. So they tested these things thinking they were far enough away and safe. And then, you know, in the 50s, there were all these whole towns that got sick. They got anemic. Yeah. And that's one of the things he predicted turned out to be true. It's one of those, it's like Bob Lazar. Yeah. Where he's one of those guys who, like, seems like he's going to be a crazy ufo- u- a ufologist. 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 Like, something stupid. Like, oh, he's just this crazy weirdo. But then, like, some of the shit he says makes a weird kind of sense. Yeah. He predicted crop failures. Oh. The aliens would say, hey, just FYI, the weather's going to be really crap and you guys are going to be, like, out of lack of food. And then the next year, there'd be like a really dry season. Shitty crops. Um, predicted earthquakes. You know, there's going to be a great shakedown in this part of the world. He would speak that from the alien plackle blackle. So, uh, one of the most important communications he ever got was on July 18th, 1952, when he was contacted by Ashtar. Ashtar uh, was the leader of these folks from Sherry. And Ashtar uh, was the one who spoke the most to him and spoke at length. Uh, finally, after these little buzz buys and everything, the actual leader of the aliens was speaking directly to him. And then Ashtar communicated the intention of the aliens, what they wanted from humans. The basic Cliff's notes are that they came in peace. They wanted to learn about us, but they criticized a lot of parts of our society, particularly the use of the uh, hydrogen bomb. I mean, we do too. Right, exactly. And that they weren't ready to make themselves completely known. They were ready to just show up at D.C. because we were still sort of uncivilized enough, but they would talk through George. So because of this, he started attracting followers, groupies. Oh, yeah. Um, Especially, you know, this is the early 50s, the height of sort of flying saucer mania. It's also sort of the beginning of the Cultural Revolution. People are starting to like want to get out of Beaver Cleaverville and go do something weird. Mm -hmm. And so all of these people who had sort of read his writings and heard reports about this guy speaking to aliens under a rock in the desert they started coming out. And so, yeah, he had, you know, dozens of people kind of hanging out, helping him out, probably smoking weed and having a good time in the desert. And then, you know, UFO enthusiasts started to come out and visit him. Local townspeople started to come out and visit George and listen to his meditations. It has been reported by a lot of them, they only came for Eva's pie, but (laughs) stayed to listen to George (laughs) meditate.
1: (laughs) I, mean, I came for you, just
0: Um Right, that's hey. <laughs> the thing. Every single report of this era says like George was a fascinating guy. It was weird that his predictions kept coming true, and then also that pie was so damn good. <laughs> 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 so he started having these gatherings of people coming to listen to his meditations, and he would sometimes predict the aliens want to make themselves known to us. They're going to come through tonight, and they would all go out there under the desert night sky and hang out. And sure enough, lights would appear and fly by. You see there? There it is. They told me, you know, Commander Lexathor communicated to me that his squadron of five ships would do a flyby tonight to let us know they're there, and then five lights would appear and fly by and disappear.
1: This guy was also extremely intelligent.
0: Nah, uh, 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 we're not being negative Nancys here. Okay. Okay, we're being positive Pete's.
1: I am a positive Pete.
0: Yes, he could have faked it, but where's the fun in that? (laughs) In 1953, George Van Tassel started the annual Giant Rock Spacecraft Convention. And oh man, does this look like a fucking blast. I've seen pictures of this. So he built this uh, big old wooden stage in front of Giant Rock so he could go up and him and other ufologists would go and make these speeches about UFOs and alien technology and visions they'd received in front of these crowds of adoring UFO nerds. There's a great series of photos uh, from Life Magazine 1957 of them going out and just taking photos of one of these events. Because, you know, it's the 50s still, so we're talking 50s fashion, mm-hmm. um, little old 50s ladies with big UFO hats on, UFO t-shirts for sale, 50 cents. And like, you know, just all kinds of like homemade crafts and costumes and all these like weird loners coming together in the desert, the early UFO nuts. And I guess it was like live music and uh, sometimes stunt pilots would perform and all these ufologists would get together around giant rock and have this big sort of like nerd burning man. And this is a yearly thing. It became very famous. One of the first big UFO conventions was Giant Rock Spacecraft Convention. So yada, yada, yada. That's sort of where this all uh, gestated from. But the point I wanted to get to, the actual thing I think is the most interesting about this, is that George Van Tassel built the Integratron. what? So here's what happened. (laughs) So in the middle of the night, one night in August 1953, aliens finally actually landed at Giant Rock. George and his son-in-law, Daniel, not actually his son-in-law yet at the time. This guy, Daniel Boone, uh, later ended up marrying one of his daughters. But one of his followers, one of the guys who really liked George, they were camped out there around Giant Rock like usual. And they're awakened at 2 a.m. by the sounds of all their dogs barking. So they kind of get up, wander out of their tents. And they're expecting a plane landing, because sometimes guys would, like, land on the airstrip late at night to go see George, and, like, they couldn't make it in time or whatever. They're, they're super used to waking up in the middle of the night and, like, helping a guy out of his plane and feeding him, you know, apple pie or whatever. But instead of seeing a plane landing, what they see is a giant, glittery, glowing ship hovering just about eight feet off the ground on the airstrip. And so they go walking over, and a door opens, and a humanoid being... Uh, resembling a blonde human, but, you know, fuzzy and just not quite looking right. Presumably this is a projection. Walks out and introduces himself as uh, being Salgonda from the Sherry and being sent to invite George aboard. And George says, fuck yeah, steps into this ship. Ship flies off and I don't know what the hell they do. Fly around, I suppose. But on board the ship, Salgonda imparts to George the plans for the Integratron. As a gift to human beings, right? So, you know, Lance drops him off later, and, uh, you know, George tells this story, and everyone goes, yeah, you're that crazy rock guy, except that, like, this dude, Daniel, saw this shit happen. So, uh, according to George, the Integriton was partially based on the design of Moses' tabernacle from the Bible, the writings of Nikola Tesla, and a 17-page mathematical equation telepathically given to him by Saganda So he proceeds to start building the Integratron.
1: Integratron.
0: The Integratron. Okay. (laughs) All right. What? If you're going to ask what is it, I'm about to tell you.
1: No, I was just say one. It's really polite that they actually landed on the airspace.
0: They he built the space not just for planes. I would imagine. In no, I, hands, did, right. I think it's very
1: sweet of them not to land on like oh this random other flat piece of desert. Which right, they right. Could have, they could land anywhere. No, but they're like specifically. They're like, no, I'm going to land on what you built.
0: You built the airstrip. Very We're respectful. We're going to land on the airstrip. So good for them. For well, being these respectful. are friendly aliens. These aren't spooky aliens. No, they are friendly like, aliens the whole they, time. You know, think, you know? yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I just love and love enjoying But Also,
1: do they have this 17-page math equation and hasn't been checked out?
0: No, he never wrote it down. Of course not. It's only in George Van Tassel's head. Of course. So based on the telepathic equations, only in his own head. 17 pages of it. And the Bible. And Nikola Tesla. And Nikola Tesla. Okay. He broke ground on the Integratron in 1954, uh, about three miles south of where Giant Rock was. The Integratron is a two-story tall white dome. It's painted a blinding white, like perfect white. So it's actually kind of hard to look at in the sun with dozens of these antenna poking out from the side, these rounded metal antenna with red tips. And there's a whole ring of them around the outside. So the thing actually does kind of resemble a UFO itself. It was built using only fiberglass and wood. There is not a single nail or screw in the structure. It is entirely built by gluing pieces of wood together Leading them against each other and interlocking them. So there are no fasteners. There's no brackets. Interlocking wood is actually pretty sturdy if you do it right. Exactly. Because the uh, the beams need to be arced in to make the dome. Mm-hmm. There is a one ton concrete cap at the top holding all the beams together. Smart. It's a pretty, you know, out there thing. And the thing is, it worked. It came and together. And it's smart enough to... It's structurally sound. Okay. He built the thing and it works. Fun fact, all of the wood beams used to build this were uh, shipped in from Washington State. <laughs> <laughs> it's trees, Lumber! Yeah. They might have come from Oakville. That lumber might well have come from Oakville, dog. We don't even know. Don't even know. So, the entire building is lined with a spiral of thousands of feet of copper wire, starting at the core of the building and then spiraling out from the center and up through the walls and all through the dome, essentially creating a giant electromagnet. Okay. Okay. In the basement below the superstructure were a whole bunch of electronic equipment wired up to the copper wires. We're talking about panels of blinky lights. Think like 50s computer technology was wired up to this building. Just full Star Trek set. No idea what it did. People saw it and reported it. Only George Van Tassel truly knew what it did. But the idea was that this entire building would concentrate and amplify the Earth's natural magnetic force... Based on the designs of Nikola Tesla, they would uh, run sparks of electricity through this thing. The outside antenna would spin around the building. The building wouldn't spin, but the outside antenna would spin in a circle. You know, much as an electromagnetic motor does. And the goal of the thing was it was a time machine. A three-story tall Nikola Tesla alien electromagnetic motherfucking time machine. Q. <laughs> it was a electromagnetic health-rejuvenating Time machine, where if you entered the structure and walked around it a certain way, while it was powered up and the antenna were spinning, while the electricity was moving through and it was channeling the Earth's magnetic energy and the forces of alien power and the forces of Nikola Tesla's massive mastery over electromagnetism. Cures if-
1: your erectile dysfunction?
0: Yes. It was a health rejuvenating machine that would undo the effects of aging on your body. Okay. That was the gift.
1: It's the fountain of youth.
0: It's the fountain of youth but like based in science with this massive formula behind it and all this technology. And like I said, George Van Tassel was a genius guy. He was an aerospace engineer and he understood this science and he actually built this thing and it worked in that the structure held and was incredibly solid. Every mathematician who's looked at this, every electrician who's looked at the formulas that he came up with says, this kind of checks out.
1: It does generate energy.
0: It does generate energy. It theoretically would have done something. We're not sure. But the idea was, you could go in there, walk there once in a circle, and come out. It wouldn't make you literally younger. You wouldn't walk out a fucking five-year-old. But it would undo cellular damage. Mm-hmm. It would make your dick work again. If you had glaucoma, it would undo the crap in your eyes. You would walk out and be healthier. You'd be the age you were, but healthier. It would regenerate your cells. Mm-hmm. It was a biological turn-back time machine. Mm-hmm. The gift of the Shari people. That because would be George- a
1: great gift if it were.
0: Yeah, right? So... They started building this thing. It took time. This took years and years and years and years. Obviously, this is a big structure. They don't have government money. All their people are volunteers, but they have these plans from George. So they're working on this basically the entire time. I'm talking about George and his followers and these things. They're working on building this massive project. It took a very, very long time. Uh, Interestingly enough, if they took magnetometers to measure magnetic force to this thing, they did actually spike. So it was doing something. A lot of this stuff, somebody goes, oh, well, this is my health-curing crazy device I invented. It's a stick-painted blue. It's not going to do shit. This Mm -hmm. thing actually did have some scientific magnetic principles to it. We're just not sure what it did. So anyways, while they're building this crazy thing, he founded a... Not a religion, but a non-profit using the religious tax exemption. (laughs) More power to you. Called the Ministry of Universal Wisdom. Okay. And an associated college, the College of Universal Wisdom. And he began mass mailing out these teachings, these ideas of his. Well, here are the aliens. Here's Ashtar and the Shari people. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. Like I said, I got I got way too deep for a second. I had to kind of back off because there's way too much literature this guy pushed out, and it's all just.
1: I'm assuming you'd also disappear into like his new religious or church or.
0: College. Yeah, no. This guy was prolific. He wrote all this crazy crap yeah. and sent it out, and it's very interesting. But I could only read so much before my brain melted. We gotta center it um,
1: around the giant rock.
0: Exactly. It's, this is about the rock and what happens around the rock. Dwayne's great. It's just Cliff's notes on the things that the Ministry of Universal Wisdom and the Proceedings of the College of Universal Wisdom believed in. What was that? There was the mini- there was the Ministry of Universal Wisdom, and there was also their newsletter, the Proceedings of the College of Universal Wisdom. Um, <laughs> and, you just need so hard. Um, one of their main points here, which I'm kind of on board with, is that the Bible, right? Because the other thing is George Van Tassel was a Christian man. Oh, well, Clearly okay. not a Bible-thumping traditional Christian man. Uh, but, but still believed. He believed he was Christian, right? Okay. So now he's got to measure up these telepathic communications from aliens and the Bible. Well... He's a Christian
1: scientist who does believe in the possibility of aliens. He genuinely believes in aliens.
0: Yeah, no, he, he's talked to them. But he also still has his Christian faith. How is he going to reconcile the two? Well, he came up with this theory, which I'm actually kind of on board with, which is that the Bible was the writings of men who had been visited by aliens, trying to explain the aliens as best they could.
1: Not against that. I'm kind of into
0: it. It Uh, seems kind of blasphemous. Of course it was blasphemous. Everything's blasphemous to Christians. So he claimed that Jesus and God and all these phenomena, the parting of the Red Sea, all this stuff man couldn't explain were just aliens visiting us. And it was man's best attempt to explain what had happened. Uh, Jesus Christ was, for example, an extraterrestrial, possibly a Shari, who came to Earth to try and help humans like with their development, right? I'm going to give you these good teachings and these good rules to follow. And look, here's a couple miracles. Do you think they're miracles to me? They're just technology. And I'm going to try and guide you on the right path. And then I'm going to fuck off for a while. Eventually, I'll come back. That was sort of right, how At that point, he... you're definitely not a Christian anymore. Well, but you can still say, I believe in the teachings of the Bible. I believe in Jesus. I believe in yes. God. But here's how I process them because I've been talked to by fucking aliens. Yes. That was a big part of the teachings of the College of Universal Wisdom. Uh, among the other ones, when we're getting a little more out there- He believed that a person can mentally tune into the frequency of another person by touching a single drop of their blood. He believed that one head of cabbage will mourn the death of another head of cabbage. He believed that clothes can be cleaned with sound waves, that certain breathing patterns can make a man levitate, that razors set beneath an inverted pyramid shape will never dull, and that if you put seven pyramids around the city of Los Angeles, it would eliminate smog. I was
1: almost, <laughs> like, I was like, technically, if sound waves are powerful enough, you could genuinely vibrate enough particles a- off of the. And the pyramid
0: razor blade thing, I think they fucked with a bit, and it kind of sort of does work. Yeah, I
1: mean, I and as, as a vegetable, if you're root connected to another vegetable near mm-hmm. you, and you remove that root system, that root system would mourn the loss of nutrients. Not mourn in the way that we know it, but it would struggle without it. So I could see a cabbage missing a cabbage.
0: The smog thing is what got you?
1: I don't know.
0: I don't think just stone, And the blood
1: thing actually makes sense. The blood
0: thing makes some kind of sense, right? I,
1: for, this well, guy
0: might just be fucking with magic. We don't know.
1: I was going to say, like... It's I, adjacent. This guy reminds me a lot of, like, Christian witches.
0: Yeah, the theosophy people are also very good to George Van Tassel. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyways, um, so he was a prolific author. He wrote dozens of books with really fun titles, like, I Wrote a Flying Saucer. Um, also, The Space Alien's Guide to Visit Earth. How to Drive Your God Suit. God. Also, the space Bible, basic instructions before lending your energy. We are all actors on God's stage. We call the earth. So he went full into God equals aliens. Well, he was always Christian, but he went way into Christianity and aliens are the same thing. Our Christian gods are just aliens. The thing is, you know, as soon as we get into talking about his college of wisdom and his ministry of wisdom, I get cult rumblings. I'm like, okay, he's starting a cult. Yeah. Yeah. Which he very much did. He had lots and lots of followers. He had these big conventions. He spoke these very strange sort of prophecies from the stars. He could very easily have been one of these Jim Jones type. Did he guys. have a job outside of all this? Airports and pies. The college and the religion. As far as I understand, he didn't make people pay for classes. The thing is like he would get donations to do this. Like, people would donate him money to build this crazy thing. But it wasn't like he was like, you must pay me. If you showed up and said, hey, can I listen to you fucking talk to aliens? He'd be like, yeah, and invite you in.
1: Cult is in service of the leader. If he's mm-hmm. still in service to the people, he's no. not a
0: cult. But I'm saying I'm if, if this guy was a cunt.
1: Oh, completely. People
0: were following him or listening to him. He could have been that. Um, the reason that he's not considered a cult leader is, like, nothing bad ever happened to these people. Because he genuinely believed this stuff. He was a nice guy. Apparently he was super giving to all the people who followed him, all these sort of UFO nerds, and they were more than willing to go help him build his crazy dome because he was just sort of a kind guy. The local townspeople loved this guy because they'd go out, listen to his crazy alien shit, eat the pie, go home. they were like, "What you building over there, George?" "A uh, dome. Uh, it's good. I found a Youth Dome." They'd be like, "All right, go, George." You know, it was like nobody hated this guy. I can't find a single person who was like, "Fuck that guy." He was just this guy out there in the desert doing this. Um, so sad part um, in 1975. His wife, Eva, dies at age 70. Couldn't find why, possibly just old age. I don't know, but she she passed away. No more pies. Very sad. George continued uh, after her death to try and get the Integratron built, and he kept publishing books, but it didn't last very long. Uh, unfortunately, he died of a sudden heart attack February 9th, 1978, at the age of 68. Um, sad balls. So, uh, unfortunately, the Integratron which was 90% done, was never completed. Because he was the main driving force behind this cult of personality sort of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. All these volunteers were building the Integratron based on his visions and his teachings, and he was the only one who had the equations in his head in theory. This is why you write shit down. I agree, but he may not even have had the right characters to write down alien equations. I don't know. He did remarry, shortly after Eva died, a gal called Doris. uh, Doris Van Tassel, after George passed away, continued to try and push his work. But, you know, unfortunately, without George around and with interest waning in this kind of thing, you know, the books weren't selling. Nobody wanted to donate money to the Integratron anymore. That lasted until uh, she also passed away on June 30th, 1991, at the age of 79. Good. Now, if you go out to Giant Rock, the uh, the cafe is gone. There's just the foundation of the cafe that's been torn down. Uh, the rooms under the rock were filled in with concrete. Why? Uh, I don't know. It's on national land. They didn't want kids going down there fucking around. I don't really know. So that's all kind of gone. That's all kind of faded away. So it's just sort of memories now. Also, in 2000, a giant rock spontaneously split in half. What? So it's not a complete boulder anymore. The entire rock, just by itself, with no provocation, just just split in half.
1: In 2000?
0: In 2000. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, of course, geologically rocks just sort of split sometimes, but it's just sort of strange that happened. Like after the people who'd sort of made that their mecca for a while, it all kind of faded into the past. The rock literally fell apart on its own.
1: What's that really fantastic book by Neil Gaiman about American gods? Yeah. When you said it split, that kind of reminded me of that thing where it's like when you stop believing in the forces, they lose power. So you stop believing in this creation, which may have been a Native American god, may have been a... Creature of the Earth that ascended may have been an alien that needed the power of our thought. The second it disappears from our thought, all of a sudden it cracks and dies.
0: But that's not the end of the story. The Integratron sat uh, abandoned, uh, mostly fully constructed, but abandoned for decades, since 1978, uh, when it was left unfinished. It passed through various owners' hands. Uh, Doris sold it off, and then Mm -hmm. somebody else bought it, and people tried to renovate it, but it sort of sat sort of unused for a while, until... Also in the year 2000, three sisters, the Carl sisters, who are very sort of woo-woo, bought the Integratron structure. And they completely renovated and restored it and fixed up all the holes. And, of course, they couldn't quite replicate all the computers in the basement and all that kind of thing. But they bought and restored the structure, repainted it, and uh, you can go there now. It's a tourist attraction, and they do sound baths in there. Because the dome, apparently, in addition to all the sort of woo-woo UFO electromagnetism, also has perfect acoustics. Of course it does. So if you're in there and you sing or something like that, apparently it's magical. And so you can go there and you can get a meditative sound bath. They have uh, quartz crystal bowls positioned around the room, Mm -hmm. which they'll ring out. That's still happening today. You can also uh, rent it for events. You know, if you're kind of out there and you want to have a strange event inside the Integratron, you absolutely can. I think there's a couple weddings. Also, kind of random. The Arctic Monkeys recorded a song there in 2009 because they wanted to record a song inside the Integratron with the weird acoustics. They would. Yeah, so they did. Okay. Also, Ashtar is still a thing. The leader of the Shari people... People still subscribe to the idea of Ashtar. Henry Zabrowski has mentioned Ashtar multiple times.
1: I was wondering why this is vaguely familiar. On
0: his various podcasts, because Ashtar and the Shari and that sort of contactee thing uh, that George Van Tessel started is still going like really strong in the ufology community. There's a massively complex lore built up around it based on reading George Van Tassel's books. Because he didn't just say, oh, this is a thing that's happening. He went through, as I said, all their government structure, politics. A world builder. Philosophy. Yeah. He built this entire world and people still follow it and say they're being contacted by Ashtar and Lara Marx. And,
1: I mean, people speak Elvish from Tolkien, well, so yes.
0: Sure, but they truly believe that it's real. I agree. So Ashtar's still around. The Integratron is still around. And people uh, still have conventions Around Giant Rock in the middle of the Mojave Desert. It's still a mecca for alien enthusiasts, spiritualists.
1: Can we go? Yes. I really want to go.
0: And that's Giant Rock.
1: Holy shit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. And to be perfectly clear, I don't believe in any of this shit. I know. I mean, like, I'm a pretty skeptical guy. But, geez, that's a fascinating story. Even if
1: you take out all of the, like...
0: (laughs) Woo-woo. Yeah, if you
1: take the fantastical elements. right, right. That still is a wonderful story of human perseverance and, like, community and building and, like, all believing in something better and bigger than yourself.
0: It's very weird and, like, sort of out there. But regardless of how much you believe or don't believe, it's a very cool story. Mm -hmm. And if you are a true believer in any of these phenomena, this is, like, a fucking power center. You know? This Mm -hmm. is, like, this is a very important place.
1: Interesting that, like, there's a lot of power in the number three including, like, triangles, pyramids, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, the Trinity, in a lot of paganistic beliefs, there's the uh, maiden, the mother, the crone. He had three daughters, and then all of a sudden, even though he passes away and everything gets lost, the people who pick it back up are three sisters.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: So you see this repetition of his three daughters, this belief in...
0: Mathematics, pyramids, Mathematics,
1: pyramids, exactly. And his belief in the Bible being equated to aliens. So you get the Holy Trinity. Ooh. Which doesn't necessarily have to be masculine. No. It can be a maiden mother crone, a.k.a. his daughters. All of a sudden, the people who pick it back up again and make sure that this thing has still survived to this day are three sisters.
0: Yeah, it's very- Are
1: you fucking kidding me? Yeah. If we're going there, if I'm going, then I am I am in the mood to go there. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's super cool.
0: And it started with a German guy blowing himself up in a cave, you know?
1: Technically, it started with a seaman who moved to the desert.
0: <laughs> we're going to bring <laughs> seaman back into it. <laughs> KY jelly raining from the sky, bukkaking an entire rural Washington town in poop juice, possibly jellyfish, unexplained by the government who probably did it them damn selves. Cool story, bro. (laughs) Giant
1: tortoiseshell on Earth in the desert inspires German seaman and later aeronautics engineer who has three lovely daughters and a lady who makes delicious pie to start an entire cult of aliens and ufologists and makes a giant weird thing for sound in the desert. All hail Ashtar.
0: All hail Ashtar. Cool story, bro. Fuck yeah, buddy. Hey, it's good to be back.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm a dude.
0: He's, He's a, dude. a dude. She's a dude. We're all dudes, here. I'm a dude. He's a dude. She's a dude. We're all dudes, yeah. A a dude. Dude. A dude. A dude. I didn't think we did have a good burger, but I like it. We're out. <laughs> <laughs> we out. <laughs> we out. <laughs>